Welcome to the Entrepreneur's Visiting Victor podcast with Victor Dadaj, where you'll hear stories and strategies to help increase your sales and grow your business. Here's your host, Victor Dadaj. All right. Welcome to Entrepreneurs Visiting Victor. I am Victor Dadaj. I hope you're having an amazing day so far. Today, we have an awesome guest. He is the principal ally and founder of the marketing agency Allies for Me. And using a proven method that mimics the stages of courtship, Allies for Me helps companies find strangers and convert them into high-paying customers. And with an eight-stage customer value journey, it is the framework that leads someone from first contact to post-purchase. And, and they believe in adding value at each and every stage of the journey. And FTL first time offers like a coffee date. It's a low commitment and low risk way to test the relationship. When you do this well, your prospect starts asking you to close the deal. So this is just uh, part of what you'll learn today is, is how to close the deal and get yourself some high paying customers. So let's welcome the principal ally and founder of that agency, Craig Andrews. How are you doing today, Craig? I'm doing very well. Happy to be here. Hope you are well as well. All right. It's great to have you on. So, Craig, I'd like to get started by asking you to please share your story. How did you wind up becoming an entrepreneur? You know, it's <clears throat> my my very first time was when I was in the fifth or sixth grade. Um, I figured out that I could draw um, draw basically tattoos on a piece of paper with water-soluble ink. And and I taped them up on the wall in the back of the classroom and I'd sell them uh, for like, you know, 10 cents or a quarter for a nice one. And, you know, the idea was you would lick it and you put it on your, your arm and that's what kids would do. And so that was kind of my first shot at it. Uh, then I, you know, went in the Marines, got out of the Marines, went to university and ended up in very much of a corporate track, but I always had that, you know, I always wanted to start a business and, um, at one point, you know, I was marketing chips for mobile phones to the world's largest mobile phone makers, but the, the margins had been collapsing for years. And I said, the day they asked me to fly a uh, coach to Asia, I'm done. I'm getting out of it. And that day came. And so I jumped out of the, uh, the high tech marketing and went back, came into sort of more traditional marketing. Uh, and that's kind of how I made the jump. And the interesting thing is when I run across friends from a, from my old world and they asked me uh, what I've been doing. I said, I've been spending the last 10 years learning how little I know about marketing. Wow. That's pretty interesting. So basically you, uh, you, you had the entrepreneurial marketing bug in the fifth to sixth grade, cause you were drawing tattoos of water soluble ink and you sold those to people in the back of the classroom and they gave you like 10 cents. They put it on their arms and they loved it. So, th you know, that was later on. You went to the Marines in the corporate world, you were selling, your uh, your marketing chips, and um, after all, you got tired of of doing that, and um, you went back to the traditional marketing world. Now you said you you you've been telling your friends for the ten year last ten years you've been uh, learning that how little you know about marketing. So you, would you care to uh, expand upon that? I kind of have an idea, but yeah, you know, I think the audience would like to know. Yeah, you know, in in semiconductors, I drove over a half billion dollars worth of revenue. And, and it was very, very competitive, you know, and, and so you had to constantly hone and, and refine your skills. And I thought I was pretty good at it. But the when I left that world, I realized the number of tools that were not utilized, you know, just the number of tools of persuasion, 
the you know the structuring of the argument, the you know the creation of an offer, uh, just not even thought of in that world. And so it's been very much of a learning journey, and, and it's been fascinating uh, in the process. I've you know I told my my old buddies from the engineering world that you know I tr traded my engineering textbooks for uh, psychology books, and it's very much you know. In, in that world, you engineer devices to do certain functions. In the marketing world, you're really engineering thought and, and structuring it in a very careful way. And we just never use those tools uh, in that corporate marketing. Oh, awesome. Thanks for explaining that. So, yeah, so before you were, you know, you're selling like half a billion dollars in semiconductors and revenues. But yeah, you use a lot of tools, but you were not using a lot of psychological tools, like how to create an offer, how to use persuasion. And and you say you went from working in engineering to engineering thought. So, you know, that I thought I found pretty interesting because you have to understand how to talk to people, how to deal with people, how to persuade people, how to build that relationship. You talk about these various stages because... Uh, Number one, a lot of people, it doesn't matter whether it's low ticket or high ticket, uh, very often they, they have a defense shield going on when they sense someone's going to be a sales and they're being salesy. And so you have to be very careful how you talk to them. So, you know, and, and a lot of it's about building relationships, getting them to trust you. So you mind talking a little bit more about how do you get customers to know you better, to like you, to trust you, to drop their defense shields? Because that is a problem a lot of people get into when they're doing sales. Yeah. Yeah. The, you know, we look at the sales cycle as five stages of courtship. And usually when we're working with somebody, it's somebody that has a high ticket item, a complex sale, uh, and especially one that requires a high level of trust. And so when we break it down, how, you know, it's a question of how to build the trust in those stages. And so the stages would be, you know, stage one, you have an introduction, stage two, you have a conversation. Stage three, um, if the conversation goes well, then stage three is you go out for a, a coffee date. I mean, that's what we do in real relationships. You know, you don't walk into a bar, find, walk up to a total stranger and ask them to marry you um, or even ask, you know, lesser things. Those are a little bit inappropriate and we know it's inappropriate. So we don't do that. But oddly, when it comes to business, that is precisely what we do. And so, um, you know, if the coffee date goes well, then you have dinner. And if dinner goes well, then you have commitment. So what we do is we engineer a coffee date that is a way to do sort of a mini project that you're actually solving a problem for them. You're not, you know, and that, that's so important. You have to solve a problem. And so that's one thing that helps build trust is you're helping them solve an existing problem they have. You help them solve, uh, solve a small problem, and they'll trust you more to help you solve a big problem. But when we structure it, we also make sure that they are a part of the process. So it's not just that we're solving it for them, we're solving it with them. And all of a sudden, they feel us coming side by side with them. Uh, but it's also important from a perspective of solving it with them. You want to make sure it's something uh, that they will support once the solution is done. And that's why it's really critical that you know one of the deliverables in that is a deliverable that's a product of, of a co-working session. Um, and so those are a few things that go into it. 
Um, there, there are a few other ingredients, but it's that environment where they get to know you, you get to know them. And it's actually a two-way street. You know, again, think about it as a coffee date and relationships. You go out for coffee and sometimes it stops there. You know, you just realize it's not a good match. And so the same thing is true in, in business. When you do one of these little mini projects, that's a coffee date. You may decide that they're not a good match for you, or they may decide that uh, you're not a good match for them. And that's okay. That's the purpose of it. And just when you were talking about raising the barriers, it drops those barriers because you're moving out of sales mode into actually helping them. Yeah, no, definitely. There's some really good stuff there. Uh, number one, you're right. I, I, it's amazing. Uh, you, you, you talk about the five stages of courtship and it's the introduction. And then after that, you go into the conversation and that goes well. It's a coffee date. If that goes well, dinner date, that goes well, you go into the commitment. So it's various stages. And if each goes well, you like each other, you get along with each other. You know, you're you're helping each other and you're solving a problem for them. And and, and one thing I like, you said, you don't ask a stranger to marry you. It, it's yeah, and that's common sense. But you're right. You'd be amazed at how many people you know they try to get a sale. They do that immediately. Like I go on LinkedIn, someone connects to me. As soon as I accept the connection request, they're trying to sell me something. And I can tell you, hundred percent of the time, I tell them no, or I ignore the message, and then they'll. Follow up four or five times. They say, well, I know you're busy. Maybe you didn't read the message. I'm saying, no, I'm ignoring your message because you're just trying to sell me. You don't really care about me. You don't want to get to know me. But it, it's amazing. It's like, you know, like you said, a woman's not going to ask you to marry her like two, you know, 30 seconds after you guys get to know each other. It takes time. You got to get to know each other. And, you know, I like you said, solve a small problem. They'll build some trust. Then you solve bigger problems. They'll trust you to solve bigger problems when you solve the smaller problems. And I and I like you said, the way you said, have them be a part of solving the problem. Solve it with them. So it's a, you know, be, have them be a coworker with you. And, uh, yeah, so when you guys work it out together, it's great. And, and just show them that you're concerned with it, that you care about them. You know, they're not just a transaction. They're not just a number to you because that's, that's what turns off a lot of people. It's like if they see you just want to say you don't care about them, they're gonna really say no. And and you mentioned it's a two way street. It's not just the fact uh, they may not you may not be good for them. They may not be good for you. They may not be may not be the kind of client you want. They might be they have, may have other needs or they might be complaining people that uh, high maintenance field they're gonna be a pain in the neck and it's not worth the amount of money they're paying you. No matter how much it is, they're if they're always gonna be bothering you. It's like some some clients you just, you just, you do not want to deal with. So no matter how much my so it works both ways. So you can decide and you mentioned you can do it at any stage of the journey. It's the conversation, the coffee date. You might say, hey, you know, I realize it's not going to work for us, but you know, I wish you well, good knowing you, good luck with everything, and that that's perfectly well. So definitely some really good stuff there. And uh, now one of the things you talk about is. Uh, First-time offers and a loss leader. Would you mind telling the difference between a first-time offer and a loss leader? Yeah, first, they're, they're kind of the same thing. Most people are familiar with the term loss leader. Um, we we just call them first-time offers. Um, so the it's, it is that coffee date. And one of the things when you offer it, and this is what makes it work so well, is it has to be an irresistible offer that, if you're standing in front of a qualified buyer and you present this, the only thing they can say is yes. And, and it does another function is 
those who aren't qualified, it's funny, it filters them out right at that spot. And so you don't have to work for, um, further with them. But when we call it a loss leader, typically what we try to do, our goal is to try to package 10 times the value as they pay in price. So when we're structuring a first-time offer, um, let's say that it's it's priced at $100. We want to deliver $1,000 of value. And there's a few reasons for that. If you're, um, so one, we say that it should be an impulse purchase. And we describe that as the coins in the cushion in your couch or the money in your wallet or the B2B equivalent of that. And the key thing, especially with B2B, is you need to make sure it's an amount of money that pretty much anybody in the organization can spend and will never be held accountable for how that money is spent. And, you know, a, a common number we use is under $500, just barely under $500, because people can spend that uh, if it's a complete waste. Nobody, nobody's going to hunt them down and uh, ask them what happened to it. But that's part of what makes it that, you know, it's likely going to be a loss leader, certainly won't be a margin driver. But it's just there to kind of get things going. Mm-hmm. No, and that makes a lot of sense. You want to make it irresistible and uh, that they can't turn it down and, and affordable. So it's like under 500 bucks and, and they get so much out, it's going to be hard for them to say no. And the ones you don't want to be part of it, will filter them out as well. And I like the fact you mentioned, give them so much, I'll give them 10 times the amount of value and, and they'll make them want to do it. And, and part of which you also agree is like they'll be thinking to themselves, because uh, a lot of times uh, they, they also doing a cost equation. They're saying, "Well, I spent four hundred dollars, but he gave me three thousand dollars in value. I got off on this guy, you know, because I got a lot more than what he gave me." And they make it just makes them trust you more, makes makes them want to like him, and they think to themselves, you know. And, and then if you make an offer something else, say a thousand dollars, two thousand dollars, they're they, they're thinking to themselves, "Well, he gave me all that value in the first offer. Can you imagine how much value I'm going to get in this next one?" Does that also play into the equation in the psychology? Yes, it does. So um, people often talk about the left brain, right brain. More accurately, it's your system one thinking, your fast brain versus your system two, uh, your your slow brain. And 95% of your decisions are made in your, your fast brain, which is kind of in the back of your head. And what it does is it just looks for patterns. And so what you're doing is you're programming that part of the brain uh, as a pattern recognition machine that when they work with you, they get value. Uh, what's interesting is the system two, which is your frontal lobe. Anytime you ask somebody why they made a decision, the only part of the brain that can make that can give that answer is the frontal lobe. The problem is it's only involved in 5% of the decisions and it's often missing data. And so it actually synthesizes reasons for why it made the decision. The person truly believes those reasons, but very often they're not at all connected to the true reason they made that. And so, yes, when you do that and you offer so much value, it leaves an imprint on their brain. Mm-hmm. No, and, and that makes a lot of sense um, because the system system one, the fast brain, which is the subconscious mind, or system two, you know, the slow brain, which is the conscious mind. And a lot of people think that uh, 
they make the decisions with the conscious mind and nothing can be further from the truth because your subconscious mind makes the vast majority of the decision, like you said, 95%. And it just processes things so, so fast. I think it's like, you can do up to like 4 billion uh, thing, uh, uh, actions like in a second or minute. And the other one can only do like 2,000. It's like thousands and thousands of times faster than the conscious mind, like you said. And it recognizes past. It does so many things to us. And 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 it's also very emotional because very often people buy an emotion, and they justify letter by logic. So a lot of times people are thinking when they're talking to is like, how does this person make me feel? Like that trust factor. And even if you're saying great things, but if they have this sense like I don't trust this subconscious, saying don't trust this person, they're gonna say no, no matter how good the numbers look. So it's 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 incredible. But yeah, most people think they they make the decisions logically, but they don't. They make it emotionally. It's the subconscious, and they justify it later with lies because no one likes to admit they're emotional. But we are all emotional beings, um, and it's just a huge part of what we do. And um, so let, let's uh, have a go continue further. So, um, so you know, right now it's a you know bit of a tough time in the economy. It's you know it's, sales are kind of slow. We're in a bit of a recession, and so you know probably a lot of people are in their businesses are starting to see a slowdown in sales. So, what do you say to someone? who's been seeing a slowdown in sales, what would you, what advice would you give them? Get a first time offer, build, build an <laughs> irresistible first time offer. Yeah, be, be, so think about this, the, um, we're coming out of a time where uh, that, that, and we're, you could say we're still inflationary, but inflation, the definition of inflation is you have too many dollars chasing too few resources. And I would say that definitely describes a lot of our economy coming up to this point where it was, you know, it was easy to sell. Well, now with the fears about the economy, that's triggering fear in people. And when people are triggered by fear, they they switch to con uh, conservatism, not political conservatism, but they become conservative with resources. And so they're still spending money, but they're doing it much more cautiously. So now the equation's flipped. You have too many resources chasing too few dollars. And so when you're in that fight, you're, you're finding that it's harder to sell. And a lot of people are finding that. Well, if you want to bust through that, the biggest thing is getting that first engagement, getting that first sale, which we would call a first time offer, and just make it hard, incredibly hard for them to say no, not because you're standing over them with a baseball bat saying buy it or else, but because it's just so incredibly attractive that they can't do anything else. And once you convert them to a, a customer, there's a guy named uh, Dr. Robert Cialdini who Influence. has yeah, consistency. You're invoking consistency. Once they act a certain way once, they will um, it increases the probability they will act that way significantly again. So make them act like a customer once improves the probability they will act like a customer again. Yeah, consistency. It's very true, and and I highly recommend uh, Robert Cialdini's book, Influence Persuasion. It's 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 an incredible read. Um, yeah, and once they become a customer, they're going to be consistent and stay with you because uh, it's 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 I don't know what the numbers like five or six times harder to get a first customer than to get a repeat customer. So once you've gotten them to buy, they're much more likely, and you give them good customer service and the relationship is good to get good value. They're much more likely, number one, to buy from you again. And number two, word of mouth, they're going to tell their friends about you. So, you know, once you get that customer, it's so much easier to do that. And a lot of people, you know, 
it's that's why customer service is so important because the more you have to get them but then once you get them you also have to try to keep them and uh yeah so de definitely some uh a really good stuff here um you talk about uh broken sales funnel so uh you mentioned a, a, a litmus a litmus test for it could you talk a little bit more about your litmus test for knowing if you have a broken sales funnel yeah and i'll give you an example of where i've, I've actually put that to work if you won't send your best friend through your sales funnel, you've got a broken funnel. And a, a real example of that, uh, and I've actually put that to the test several times. You know, I've had friends come to me and they had a need. And when I listened to their need, my best advice for them was either to buy our first time offer or one of our clients first time offers. And, and I've recommended both. But one time that is probably the most significant demonstration of that is in 2021, I was in the hospital for three months, nearly died. Uh, they had actually, the doctors had told my wife for about a month that I wasn't going to make it. And it was COVID. And when I, um, three days before I went on the ventilator, the daughter of a lifetime mentor died of COVID. She was on the ventilator. She died. Three days later, I went on the ventilator. Uh, I wake up six weeks later, start recuperating, start rebuilding muscle. I couldn't, you know, when I woke up, I, I couldn't move. I couldn't lift an arm, couldn't lift a leg. I was, you know, completely atrophied, had to learn how to walk again. And I started getting contacted by the, the gal who died. Her name was Kristen. Her brother started contacting me. Now, both of their parents are important people in my life. They are uh, they've been lifetime mentors and they've had more of an impact on my life than anybody other than my own parents. And Kristen's brother, Michael, came to me and said, hey, I need some help with marketing. And I told him, I said, well, I'm taking the rest of the year off, uh, still recuperating. Uh, why don't you come back later? And he came back later and, and I said the same thing. And I, I was really kind of hoping he would go away I, just because I didn't want to muddle that relationship. He came back a third time. And I got on, on the phone with him and I listened to him and I and when I heard what he was trying to do, the best advice I could give him was to buy our first time offer. I actually knew he would never be a client. So that's not why I did that. I did that because it would give him, it would give him a marketing plan that would help point him in the right direction so he could go make money for his business. And to this day, I can look his dad in the eye and I can say, I took care of your son. Wow. Wow. That was really, really good. And, and, um, number one, that must've been quite an ordeal. You know, three months hospitalized, he nearly died. He woke up six weeks later and, uh, you know, did anything you're making. And, and then, uh, Kristen's brother, Michael reaches out to you several times and, you know, I finally tell him to, you know, get the first time off and they can, you know, I can say, you can look his father in the eye and say, I took care of him. So, you know, that's, uh, yeah, that's a really, uh, that's good. That's quite a story. So, uh, yeah, I, wow. That's, uh, and, and so, yeah, so, so it's, you know, it's, uh, that's just amazing. All that you went through, you know, right near death and then you were able to come back and I assume your health is very good now you're you're able to function well you don't have, have any issues now well not not quite doing significantly better than I was okay uh nobody's 
nobody's announcing my coming death, uh, which is a big change from before. Uh, but the I've got, um, you know, I still have diminished lung capacity. Uh, oh. I've got uh, neuropathy in my feet. I've got some, uh, I've got some kidney issues, uh, which look like that's under control. But yeah, it's it's funny. I tell people before COVID, I didn't have any comorbidities. After COVID, I do. And so, uh, the uh, it's a long road of recovery. Uh, it's a lot, but I mean, I had I was I had the Delta variant of COVID, and I was the very first one to leave the ICU of the hospital I was at alive. Everybody before me died, and even in those after me, very 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 few lived. Uh, that wave killed pretty much one hundred percent of the people that went on the ventilator. And so it was, it was nasty. And so it's a lot to recover from and it just takes time and it takes work. Wow. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess you consider yourself lucky. So you were the first one to leave and not many people survived it. They were on the ventilator. Most of them died. You know, very, very few did. So I guess it changes your perspective a lot. I mean, you know, you're, I guess you, you know, obviously you're dealing with, still dealing with a bunch of issues. So it's a long road to recovery, as you mentioned. But, you know, you're able to, you know, spend time with your family, spend, see your wife and still work on the business. So I, I assume you're back, you're back. Are you working full time now? Yeah, I came back. So I got out of the hospital November 6th of 2021 and I returned to work uh, January 3rd. And for starters, it it was, you know, working a half day or three quarters of a day, you know, usually with a nap in between and, um, and it's, um, you know, now the days look a lot more like regular days. Um, and, you know, it's um, three days a week. I do something called Camp Gladiator, which is basically show up in a parking lot with some other folks with a workout mat and some ham weights. And you do a whole variety of exercises. And uh, so all that's helping me get back. Um, it's just, It's just a long road. Got it. And okay, well, hopefully we, we wish you a complete recovery, hopefully in the not too distant future. And I'm glad to see, I'm glad you're with us that you got through that, which very few people did. And uh, hopefully that re- recovery will continue to, will be very full in the, in the not too distant future. So, um, you know, thanks for sharing that with us, Craig. So as we're coming toward the end, do you have any last uh, minute pieces of, of advice for people who are, you know, maybe to start their business or their, um, you know, getting the business, struggling. So obviously the first time offer is something really important to have. Um, are there any other things you can recommend to people in terms of increasing their sales? Maybe talk a little bit more about the psychology. You know, you shared the various stages of the dates, which I think is something really important. Like, you know, maybe that's the, what kind of mindset to go into when they're going there. Because sometimes people just have their mindset, I need to close the sale. That's all they're focused on. And people can sense that closing breath and they're like they get turned off by that so you might want to share you know some you know what yeah. other things you recommend no you have you absolutely nailed it on that the the whole idea of of going into a sales call and this is going to sound so counterintuitive going into a sales call without the goal of selling and that's one of the reasons we do recommend a first-time offer is it's such an incredible offer you don't have to sell it. All you have to do is present it. But when you take off and, and then just be comfortable that the people that say no aren't a right match for whatever reason. And when when you do that, at least for me, that takes away that anxiety, 
that that body language that just emanates when somebody knows that you're trying to sell them. So that would be uh, that would be one thing that I would recommend. Uh, you know, another thing, probably the best piece of advice I ever got on sales. Well, one of the best pieces I have a few. And what that is once once somebody says yes, you just you, you get the signatures, finish the meeting, wrap up, say as low as possible. You know, that's not the time to start, you know, uh, talking further or trying to reinforce the close. A lot of people lose sales by talking too much after the customer says yes. And there's a uh, a VC, local VC here named Al Shuley, who says, uh, he's like, all right, then it looks like we have an agreement. Uh, please sign here, press hard, use my pen, bottom copy is yours. You know, and that's his coaching of once they say yes, just, um, you know, just quit, you know, get things wrapped up, quit talking, end the meeting and move on. No, I totally agree. And I like what you said. You know, go to the call without the goal of selling. It, it will remove the anxiety. You feel a lot more relaxed. You're detached from the outcome. And you tend to do better when you're detached from the outcome. And once they say yes, they get the signature into me and going, you're right. Because so many people talk themselves out of a sale after they got them. And it's similar to dating. So many times a guy will get a date from a girl on the phone and he'll keep talking and talking. And then like she changes her mind and the date is gone. So once you get the date from the girl, hang up saying, I'll, uh, I'll see you next Saturday. Yeah, same thing with the client. Have them sign, end it, get the sale, and move on. So, so Craig, listen, uh, thanks so much for being on the show. It's been a real pleasure having you on. You share a lot of great wisdom, a lot of great value, and thanks for sharing your story. We really appreciate having you on. And, Craig, if someone wants to get in touch with you, what is the best way for them to contact you? So they can come to our website. It's alliesforme.com. Uh, that's spelled A-L-L-I-E-S, the number four, and then me, like me, myself, and I, dot com. So they can come there and we have a contact form. Uh, but I have a gift for your audience. And it's, you know, we've been talking about first-time offers. Uh, I didn't mention, I failed at those for like 18 months. I just kind of bumbled around for 18 months trying to put one together. And it's a lot harder than it looks. So we actually have a guide and we have a self-paced course. And so if anybody listening to this wants to get that, just go to alliesforme.com slash visiting Victor, all lowercase, go to that and you'll get 23 days in the course. Plus you will get the guide. The reason we're limiting it to 23 days, we're not trying to be Scrooges. We're in the business of changing lives. And we know that if you sign up for the course and there's not a date that the course goes away, what will happen is you will never use it. And you'll, it will just sit there and it will make no benefit to you. And that would grieve us the most. We want you to put this to work. We want this to change your life in the same way that it's changed my life. And so that's why we put the 23-day limit on it. So go to that, uh, alliesforme.com slash visitingvictor, all lowercase, and um, you can sign up and get those resources. All right, that sounds good. Take advantage of that free gift that uh, he's giving you. So again, Craig, thanks so much for being on the show. Have yourself an amazing day, my friend. All right, thank you. Take care. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you've enjoyed listening, please smash that subscribe button so you don't miss any of our amazing episodes. 
please also leave a five-star rating review and have an awesome day.